On this week's episode of The Front Page, we speak with two of the professors who signed on to the recent faculty petition that ran on the Red and Black website last week. We speak with Dr. Mark Abel from the University College of Public Health. Dr. Abel's focuses are in epidemiology and biostatistics. We also speak with Dr. Amy Trauger, a professor in the Department of Geography who's received recent recognition from UGA for her online teaching as well as recognition for her first year Odyssey seminar that focuses on fake news. Dr. Abel and Dr. Trauger give their thoughts on UGA's reopening thus far. And we're here with Dr. Mark Abel, a professor at the UGA College of Public Health. As your course instruction goes, it's with graduate students. So has that smaller class size made it any easier to do class, quote unquote, safely? Well, I mean, you're right. The graduate student classes definitely are usually um, smaller, uh, but there's a lot of differences between grad students and undergrads. Um, They tend to be older. They're more likely to have conditions that increase their risk. They're more likely to live in multi-generational households where there are at-risk family members. Uh, We recently surveyed 400 uh, graduate and undergraduate students at UGA, and about 40% of the graduate students felt they were at increased risk due to underlying health conditions, and two-thirds actually preferred instruction to be online. That's very different from the undergrads. Is it something that your students have come to you expressing concern over and wanting to have class online versus in person? So I, I have had several students express uh, concern and tell me that they wouldn't be coming to any in-person classes. Um, so yeah, the students are certainly expressing that. And then with UGA's response and how they're doing bringing students back to campus, uh, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings on it? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, first of all, they're not really following the CDC guidance, which is quite clear when there is what they call substantial community transmission. Then you should begin online and you should only go to in-person instruction when there are a very small number of new cases per day, when test positivity is consistently less than 5%, and when test results can be returned within a couple of days so you can do contact tracing. Uh, Some results are now taking you know, a week or longer to come back, which makes contact tracing kind of uh, irrelevant, frankly. And I would say also, uh, I'm glad that they set up a surveillance program. I know that the folks at the vet school work very hard to do that, and I appreciate that. Uh, I am concerned about how they are sampling. Um, You want to make sure you get a representative sample, that you have uh, plenty of students, plenty of faculty and staff. The way they're doing it is they're asking people to volunteer every day and, you know, click on a link and then say they're gonna come in and give them a time. There is this thing called healthy volunteer bias and it's a well-known problem in sampling. People who volunteer for a study or to get studied are more likely to be healthy, they uh, engage in less risky behavior, they have lower mortality. What we, I think, should be doing is inviting a random sample of 600 students, let's say, and 300 faculty staff And then the first 200 students and 100 faculty staff who respond each day get tested. And we do that on a rotating basis. So we invite a new group of 600 and 300 every day. And so by doing that over a period of, you know, uh, 40 days or so, you would work through the whole campus. And they should also be reporting those results daily or maybe as a five-day moving average so we can really get real-time information that's shared with the university community on how we're doing. I think it's interesting to look at kind of how cases are being reported. Uh, We spoke about pre-call 
Georgia Tech is doing them daily. Uh, it mentions what part of campus the positive test came from, faculty, student, etc., and a lot more information than what UGA is doing. Yeah, I think Georgia is reporting once weekly, mm-hmm. and they're not dis- they're not telling us uh, which cases were students, which were faculty, staff. Obviously, that's important. Um, students have different behaviors. They have different living conditions. They're more likely to be asymptomatic transmitters than our older people. And, you know, we know that from a lot of research in a lot of different settings, young people often have asymptomatic or mild infections and so are in some ways at greater risk of transmitting the disease uh, to people in the community who may be more uh, vulnerable. So, yeah, Georgia Tech has a daily update. They give detail on each case. They don't, you know, we can't disclose names. We certainly shouldn't do that or Mm -hmm. ages or addresses or anything like that. But in general, saying this person was on campus, they were diagnosed on such and such a date, and then the whole campus knows what's going on is, is fully informed. Um, you know, we had the initial report that came out last Wednesday uh, reported three positives out of 793 in the asymptomatic surveillance group, and if you scale that up to 50,000 people in the university community, that's almost 200 cases. So that's worrisome. You know, that's how things should be reported. And um, I'm just concerned that we don't have the, the kind of, uh, you know, daily reporting. Ideally, we should be learning about the number of positive and negative tests in the last 24 hours, stratified by symptomatic versus asymptomatic and students versus faculty staff. And we should also be updated on how long it's taking the symptomatic cases to get the test back from the lab. And to finish, do you just have any general thoughts on how it's gone thus far or how it should go going forward? Well, uh, you know, I'll just say, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, it's a stressful time for everybody. I think that uh, I I feel for students who want to have a normal college experience. And I think, um, you know, we should avoid too much blaming and shaming of students. I think it's, Mm -hmm you know, on us as faculty and administrators to create an environment that's safe. And I think that initially, I wish we could have begun um, online only for everybody, and that the decision on how to teach should really be made by faculty working with their unit heads to say, okay, this class is best online, this one is best a hybrid, this one is best in person because it's a lab. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those decisions should be made by faculty and their units Uh, not dictated by the university system, which is currently the situation. And we're here with Dr. Amy Trauger, a professor at the UGA Department of Geography. As a professor, why did you sign on to the petition that recently ran on the red and black? Well, first of all, I am a juvenile diabetic. So I have um, the ADA accommodations for working remotely. And... I'm doing that largely because I, and I, I did it a long time ago because I felt like UGA wasn't really that interested in making sure that public health was being observed. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I think that in, in a word, bringing everyone back to campus is reckless. And in light of the situation, they are basically, you know, planning murder. Uh, they they knowingly are bringing people into an environment in which they are going to get infected and they are going to send them home at some point. They are going to come into contact with their families and 
people are going to die. They think that because this population is so-called, you know, immune or whatever, that they don't suffer long-term health effects. And, and I, I just think that it's completely irresponsible to doing what they're doing. And you normally teach a large Geography 1101 course, um, but I assume now that everything is online, that it's not quite the same. No, it's, um, I've, I've had two online learning fellowships over the past couple of years, and I've developed a online introductory version of human geography that I've won awards for. And I, I've been on record since the beginning of this pandemic saying that I would be willing to teach a large section of 1101 because I was a college student one time mm -hmm. and I had to deal with things like this, not, not in this magnitude, of course, but like navigating a campus with my particular health situation. I know for a fact that there are students in my classes who are type one diabetics and don't want to be on campus mm -hmm. and have few options. So they, I knew from the get-go that there would be a demand for the class that I could offer and that it's a good one. And, um, you know, it was two weeks before classes started that I was offered to teach it online. The sort of thinking that has apparently not gone into dealing with the pandemic has caught all of us a little off guard because had they decided that, like most of Canada, my partner lives in Canada, and all the Canadian universities have decided already that they're going to go online in the interest of protecting public health, and UGA could have made this decision in April and seen the writing on the wall and planned for a completely online semester or two a year and had all of its professors prepared to do this. And I was happy to teach this online section because, I, like I said, I'd already offered it. But to, you know, offer it to me two weeks before classes start is a little bit much. UGA is really ambivalent about online learning. They really want students on campus for some reason. Mm -hmm. and are not really willing to go and support online learning. And I've been doing this, like I said, for years, but even I was part of a online teaching at, at Penn State when I did my doctoral degree 20 years ago. And UGA is super behind the curve on online learning because for whatever reason, they're unwilling to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's in general, not even with uh, this pandemic. Yes, in general, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, I just don't, I don't really understand the game they're playing. I know that they make a lot of money off of housing and football and, mm -hmm. and those are important things for them to consider, but to, to foreclose the option for everyone seems a little narrow-minded. And having done this for 20 years, like you said, what's the amount of effort that goes into an online class in addition to what would normally be for a regular course? Oh my gosh, it's enormous. And I, like I said, I've gotten awards for it and I have a lot of students who've emailed me post pandemic who have said, this class was the most well-organized online class I've ever taken because I taught it over the summer. I regularly teach online classes over the summer, mm -hmm. um, which is when UGA seems to think that this is appropriate. I, like I said, I had two online learning fellowships through the Center for Teaching and Learning. And I, it basically took me two years to develop a decently, you know, good online course. All of the planning and the, the sort of pedagogical kind of theory that goes into online learning, because it's different. You know, I just don't show up and talk at people and leave. Mm -hmm. I actually have to think through everything that I do online in a way that will meet the learning objectives that I've set out for students to learn. And it's not that people don't do that in the classroom, but you have to think about it ahead of time when you're designing an online class because it's so 
geared towards self-paced learning that you, you can't kind of answer things on the fly. It has to be really tight. Is there anything you'd like to see UGA do to stimulate online learning, not in planning for another pandemic like this, but just in general, uh, since you've devoted so much time to it? I, I think that UGA has invested a, a decent amount of money into these online learning fellowships, which were enormously helpful to me and really fun. Like I, I, I'm a lifelong learner, but I really learned a lot and really enjoyed learning how to do this in a, in a really systematic and thoughtful way. And so I think making those more available and, and also making the classes that, you know, I would love to be able to teach online. Um, and, you know, like I said, my partner lives in Canada, so I'm essentially a single parent. I have a nine-year-old daughter. In terms of liberal education, the way of the future is not to crater a university by having students go elsewhere. It's being able to meet the needs that students have where they're at. And I really think that flexible uh, work environments and, and remote learning and online learning are needed now more than ever, of course, but I think students are going to want it in the future. And as a professor with a pre-existing condition, do you feel that the university has really had your best interest in mind through all of this? Um, I think that had they not been required legally to uh, offer this to me, mm-hmm. I don't think they would care. Um, I, that's not been my impression anyway, that they are interested in protecting me. I also teach a freshman odyssey seminar and they are not willing to let me do it remotely. And so I've had to get really creative about how I'm going to keep myself safe. So I, I don't think that UGA really understands or cares. And if they really did, they wouldn't be inviting 30,000 students back to campus and expecting us not to get, um, you know, have problems. And a staff person has already died. Um, so I don't really know what it's going to take. As a professor, I'm getting a notifications daily about students who are suspected um, COVID cases in my classes. And I think that it's really a moral obligation on the part of faculty to cancel their in-person classes. I don't know what the answer is, but I can't imagine knowing that I had an in-person class and someone was sick or asymptomatic and infected someone else, who then somebody died. Like, I'm just not going to live with myself that way. And that was Dr. Amy Trauger, professor in UGA's Department of Geography. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company, and we're sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in next week.